Hello, welcome to part two of my interview with Rob DeFord of Bordy Vineyard. If you haven't listened to part one yet, I recommend you go back and do that. However, if you decide not to, there's a lot in this episode that stands on its own. My name is Howard Fletcher. This year podcast is the number one two. Why not go downtown for a bucket of nipples? I want to go downtown for a bucket of deck bones They right next door to the taste of free in the in in the quest of finding that that compatibility between the big factors the soil the climate and the wine and you really have to give the variety about 10 years before you can make a decision on how, on how it's working out. Yeah, well, I was really struck when I uh, was here last week that the spectrum or the range of wines that you produce. I mean, if, if somebody likes wine, I, I think it'd be very difficult to come here and not find a wine that you would enjoy drinking. Right. Whether you like dry, white, or a sweeter dessert type of wine, or reds, or, you know, blends anything it you you really have a great uh mix well we we produce for this region quite a bit of wine Mm -hmm. um i i think our production right now is 37 or 38,000 cases of wine Mm -hmm. and you'll find that's on the on the high side for for a regional winery um and and that 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 growth has been sort of organic over the years we we have listened to our customers uh, we, we've felt that, that if someone comes and they don't find what they want, we should ask ourselves, well, why was that? Is there something that we're, are, are we too inwardly focused um, and not listening to the people we want to really, at the end of the day, serve and please, which is the, the wine drinkers of this region? Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, wine drinkers are dynamic too. And their tastes, we're seeing the public taste changing. The public taste is, is swinging more and more towards drier wines. And I think that over time, you're going to see our portfolio shift more and more in that direction. And that is exciting because that's kind of where our internal tastes lie. Mm -hmm. And uh, our, our, our wine portfolio is divided into three families. And the landmark wines represent the the reach for the highest quality that we can possibly make and they're they're i will say readily you know they're expensive mm-hmm. by most people's standards mm-hmm. i don't think they're expensive considering what it takes to make them right but they're expensive in light of uh the the, the wine market and the perception mm-hmm. of people f- for local wines mm-hmm. then we have a mid-range offering called icon and those wines are, are the ones that are in, found in most of the stores, and we're represented in over 800 stores and a couple of hundred restaurants. And those wines are designed to produce quality and value and, and compete with wines from anywhere in the world. And then lastly, we make a line of wines called Sweetland, mm-hmm. which are fruit-based other than grapes and are for the sweeter audience. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the beauty of having all three of these lines is that we can reach, as you've said, customers of all persuasions. Mm-hmm. And the other beauty of it is that, that there's nothing fixed. If we feel public taste is moving in a certain way or, or we feel we can work better in a, in, with, with certain grape varieties that make certain styles of wine, we have the latitude to do that. Well, one thing I was noticing, and, and you um, pointed out also when we were looking at your uh, facilities uh, back where you, you actually make the wine. Uh, 
Yeah. Um, you've learned your 33 years of experience shows because you've learned how to be quite nimble yeah. and not get locked in, which uh, I really admire because that, that's a very, I like people who are strategic thinkers. And uh, you've learned, it seems, not to, you know, get in a rut or put yourself in a position where it would be very difficult to move with the market. It's such an interesting business because it looks like when you drive in the driveway of this winery or many others, everything is so peaceful. (laughs) And you've got these neat rows of vines and you've got these nice buildings and everything looks so orderly, which it is. But underneath that is this uh, constant flux and change and being nimble is that's a good word you use because Mm -hmm. that's really what's at the heart of I think uh, evolving in a company is that you have to constantly question what you're doing and asking whether there is another rung in the ladder that I can climb towards making better and better wine and uh, I can tell you we have you know we're at we're at a really fascinating moment in time but we're not at the end of the road by any stretch yeah there's so many things to be tried still yeah, and and uh, I think it's going to take a long time for this region, which has so much promise, and I, I can't emphasize that enough. I think the Mid Atlantic is a special place uh, for a number of reasons, and perhaps we can go into that in greater detail. But I, I feel that that there will be a time when we probably those of us who are still making wine here, a hundred years hence, will probably make a lot fewer than we're making today, mm. because we will find that we, we can make a absolutely world-class top-flight Cabernet Franc, a fantastic Albarino, and name, name other varieties that, that might emerge in, with the same strength as those two. And, and then, I think, if, if we do reach that point, it will depend on us having a more global market. Yes. Because you can only ask your local consumers to drink so much of a certain kind of wine. But if you are like the wineries of Napa Valley or the wineries of Bordeaux, you do have a global market and you can make one or two wines really focus on them. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm beginning to believe, I've heard people say this a few years back uh, before I became so entrenched in the wine game, but now I believe it, that they would say that the mid-Atlantic region is very much like Napa Valley in the 70s as far as the wine business or the recognition, worldwide recognition. I believe it. I believe that to be true. You you have a little bit more. <laughs> I see you shaking your head. So well, you I'm, may I'm not... thinking about what you're saying. I was there in the '70s. Right. That's when I, I was in school. Yeah. And yes, it was. You could buy a vineyard for next to nothing, yeah. and there was a lot of distress out there. But it was just the early days of when Robert Mondavi was sort of transforming the perception of mm-hmm. California wine. Fascinating time. Um, I would, I'm uneasy with that comparison. Uh, I understand you're talking about an evolution of a region and not so much the the perhaps climatic similarity of which there is very little. I meant meant, uh, public perception. Yes. That's what I meant. Positioning in people's minds. Yes. I mean, when I tell people when I travel now, uh, because I've become quite an advocate for wine in this region, and I talk about Virginia wines, more often than not, especially if you're not from the East Coast, I will get a puzzled look. Yes, right. And, and Very they, used to that look. Right, <laughs> right. And they won't, they won't know, whereas, you know, California is almost universally accepted now, and, and Oregon and Washington State, for that matter. Correct. And so, um, so that, that's what I mean, that now people are, although I'd say every fourth or fifth person now who's outside of the region I run into who drinks wine, will know what I'm talking about. Yeah. 
And they'll say, yes, you know, about, about uh, Maryland and Virginia and Mid-Atlantic wine. So. I think this region will emerge as a recognized great region um, once the, the, the legacy of our learning curve has fallen further into the slipstream of the past <laughs> and we begin to hit our stride on, on certain strong suits. And this doesn't say that experimentation ceases, but you, you, the regions you've named, and I could name others, are usually known for certain types of wines. Yes. And that, that, that is practically universal. And I don't think the Mid-Atlantic is yet known for certain types of wine. And that's what I was alluding to earlier, yeah, is that Bordeaux. over time, I think we will become better known for the wines that we do best. And uh, the, it, would be sh it would be shortchanging the future to focus too much right now on just a few varieties, because there, there are other varieties out there to be experimented with. Right. And we're doing that, and, and it's exciting work. Uh, Focus is the sort of antithesis of that. Then, then you said, I've, I've tried these things. I'm now going to just limit myself to these, let's say, five varieties or whatever. We're not there yet. Mm. But what is wonderful about this region are the, the big metrics of this region. It's our location. It's our geography. It's, it's the soils we have. It's, it's our, uh, the fact, you know, many would consider it a detriment. I consider it an asset is that rainfall comes out of the sky for free. Um, that's that's a that's actually a wonderful gift. Um, we have many assets going for us, and and what I love about the Mid Atlantic, and by that I mean, really Southern PA, all of you know, a good part of Central Maryland and Northern Virginia. That's that's I, I don't think that political boundaries mean a thing. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a fascinating and highly promising region for the future. Well, let me uh, let's talk about, and I'm almost finished about um, something that actually is the fruits of your labor at the courthouse. And that is uh, the wine business has evolved now, or owning a winery, into uh, having events and being uh, a venue for weddings and that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. How much of your business is that, and how do you grow that? Well, we, we actually are, are dialing it back a little bit because we have found that it's a distraction. But having said that, it's also enormously important for promotional reasons. Uh, we don't have an advertising budget per se. We, we, we don't have the money to, to advertise in the conventional sense. So word of mouth is our most powerful uh, advertising tool. And we hold events here because, A, we really like the fun side of wine. We think that wine is at the service of people. We enjoy the festive, the celebration, we enjoy the, the social side of wine, and we, we really think that, that um, wine is, is life. Wine, wine gives life. Wine is, is part of loving and enjoying being alive. So we are, we are a serious company that likes to have fun. So part of that spirit is what animates our events, is what, what gives them the spirit they have. But what we have done on the, on the other side is we have actually shrunk them, shrunk the events so that the people who are here have better service, a better experience. And we've done it because nowadays um, we can sell out. And we can do that because of the way that tickets are sold nowadays. It used to be that we had no idea how many people were coming. And we don't do weddings anymore. We stopped them, I'm going to say, six or eight years ago. Wow. 
we're not we're not in the wedding business. We're, that's a separate business. Yeah. We're also not a brewery. We're not a distillery. We are a winery, 100% one business. And we think there's so much to be done in that space that we we just really want to focus on that and not be distracted. Well, that's good. I mean, that's one reason why I believe, besides your hard work, uh, that your wines are so good because you're that's your raison d'etre. You you understand that's what you want to do. Yeah, that's that's the <clears> core <throat> of what we do and. We, we honor that. Uh, you know, I, I, I sometimes feel like being a winemaker is you're, you're a steward of a legacy. You know, winemaking is so ancient. And there's, uh, you know, you have to understand we're, we're, we're just a, a, a tiny, tiny speck in this huge tradition. But upholding the tradition with, uh, with great respect and, and uh, love and enthusiasm is, is really at the core um, and, and I'll add one more thing. I mentioned it earlier, but, but a certain humility to constantly learn and, 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 and uh, acknowledge that, that knowledge can come from strange places. You have mm-hmm. to constantly be open and ready to learn from, from many different sources. Okay, in the last part of, this, uh, of my section, I'm going to call Last Call, where I get to learn a little bit about the winemaker and what you do. And so... Um, First, I'm going to ask you, what grape, if there is a grape, do you enjoy growing the most? I'd have to say uh, there, there are two top grapes for us at the moment. And that could change <laughs> since it, it, it's, uh, there's a lot to be learned about varieties that either we only have in small numbers or, or haven't even planted yet. But right now, I'd say the Cabernet Franc on the red side and Albarino on the white side are our two favorites. Petit Verdot would be a close second, very exciting. Um, and on the white side, we're looking also at uh, Sauvignon Blanc and Viognier. Uh, we do have quite a bit of Chardonnay here, which I love. You know, someone once said Chardonnay for the winemaker is like chicken for a chef. <laughs> you know, you can have, you can make the simplest dish or you can make a, a fantastic gourmet dish out of it. And for that reason, Chardonnay remains a, a fascinating grape to all of us. Hmm. Um, it's it's really hard to pick favorites here. Yeah, you yeah. Know, they're all so different. Do you have a favorite food and wine pairing? Uh, no, yeah. no. I, I I my tastes are so eclectic that yeah. um, I I just really find the act of pairing fascinating. But I don't think that it makes sense to say I have a favorite one. Um, I have a, a favorite. Uh, what I love is when the two sing together in harmony, right. and that can be found in so many places. Huh. Now, since you've traveled internationally, I was going to narrow this down to just this region. But besides Bordy, is there a winery uh, internationally where you really admire what they do there or you enjoy visiting the most? I know you probably don't have a lot of time to go visiting a bunch of wineries. I really don't. No, I, I actually... Um, I would say uh, locally, um, I admire um, I admire Barbersville a great deal. Mm. I think they are a fascinating model of really good quality and top flight hospitality. Yeah, they're an older. They are older. Uh, they have a lot of capital behind them. Yes, uh, but I, I that doesn't matter to me. I, I admire them. But there's so many that are. Um, 
that I look at and I, I say I, I, they're doing a lot right. I really, I really admire what these people. And it's true for Maryland. There are a number of really good players in Maryland now. Southern PA. There's some fascinating wineries. Mm-hmm. This is all so uh, relatively new. Yeah. If you get out of this region, as I mentioned, I was just in Bordeaux for my first time. Um, I, I found it so fascinating to find the similarities, of which there are many, but also some really profound differences. Um, the fact that many of those wineries don't accept the public, that many of them will make one or two wines, period, end of story. One of the top wineries, was entire, its entire planting was two and a half acres. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, and they're one of the top wineries uh, in the Bordeaux region. It's, it's just so fascinating to see where a well-established wine region heads. Uh, in California, I have admired some of the, um, the pioneers who are actually working in the cooler regions. Uh, the Santa Rita Hills, for example, is a fascinating region. But my very favorite winery out there is Frog's Leap, bar none. Mm. And I have, a long, <laughs> I have a long history with Frog's Leap. It's one of the, it's one of the wineries I've admired from the beginning. And, and they, make, they make top to bottom good wines. Yeah. They have that sort of humor and humility that I admire. They're not overly full of themselves, yeah. <laughs> and, they, and they, they they seem like good stewards of the land, and 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 uh, people I I just plain like. No, my best friend actually, who lives out in Boulder, he uh, who's been drinking wine for years. Yeah, uh, he really likes Frog's Leap. They're a, they're a really fine company. Yeah, yeah. top. They have great. You know, great values. You know, the old saying is doing well by doing good. Yes. You know, we've always looked at our winery as, as a member of a community. And it's not just the community of wine. It's the community of, of, of this valley, of, of Maryland, uh, of people who like to travel and visit. And, you know, you can define your community in many ways. But uh, we feel very strongly that, that this is not just about making money, which, which is kind of we think of as a... If you do make any money in this business, it's a reward for <laughs> for doing a good job. Right. It's not. It's not. If you wake up and say, "I'm gonna, I want to make money," well, don't go in this business. Right. I mean, you right. sh- you should make money. You, you got to make a profit. Sure. And I learned that early on, and uh, it's one of the reasons we are as diverse as we are, is because this is this is this winery is self-funded. We we, we do not use external capital. It's except for bank debt. We mm-hmm. we are self-funded, and I think that's a. A source of great pride for us is that the winery is run like a serious business, and I think it's one of the reasons that we attract top-flight people here. Yeah. We have employees who have been with us for over three decades, and I really take that as, a, as an honor yeah. that they've been with us for so long. Wow. One last question. Yeah. Uh, if you were chosen to represent the state of Maryland in a wine competition, you could bring two wines, two of your wines, uh, what would they be? Well, it's funny you ask that because in my trip to Bordeaux, I had to take a red and a white as gifts for people who were going to host us there. Right, okay. So um, I ended up not taking a white, but I had to make the decision anyway because <laughs> Bordeaux is just about all red. Right, right. <laughs> but my two wines were going to be our Cabernet Franc Reserve and our Albarino Reserve, mm. um, partly because I think they are our strongest wines right now, Okay. but also because I wanted to... Um, show something that was a little different from what the folks over there do. Now, Cabernet Franc is a very familiar grape, of course, in Bordeaux. Albarino is not. But um, I, I feel that, that there are very few wines in Bordeaux that are, uh, that are identifiably 
Cabernet Franc. There, there are some that are, are known to be 50 or 60 percent, but in naming it as one, you're doing something that most Bordeaux people don't like to do, which is tease out varieties. They, they like the, their blends. At any rate, those are the two I would choose, and I, I, I feel that they are world-class quality, and I would, you know, I would show them with pride anywhere. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that because I have a bottle of the <laughs> Cab Franc Reserve at home. It's delicious wine. And, and yeah. that one, I, I don't normally talk about awards, but that one uh, is a fascinating wine because it, it won a double gold medal in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we use judgings as a, as a check and balance on what we're doing. Okay. We don't necessarily think that they are... Uh, as important in marketing as other people do. Right. But uh, we do our best with making good wine here, but then we do ask, you know, when we put these wines out to credible competitions like the uh, San Francisco International Wine Competition, how do we stand up against truly international, you know, in, in that theater? Mm-hmm. And, and that particular wine won a double gold medal, which means that every judge gave it a gold. And that's blind. Wow. They didn't know what they were judging. They just it was a it's another glass of wine as far as they were concerned. Uh-huh. So that's that tells me that's a good signal back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I, I I have boxes full of medals. We don't really do a lot with them. We don't display them, but they're they're confirmation they back can. from impartial people. Right. And uh, I, that's that's very reassuring to me. Well, good. Well. <clears throat> like I told you, I'm a little young to the wine game. Yeah. You know, about five years I've been drinking wine. I semi-seriously and uh, I think your wine is spectacular so when I hear that experts are saying it's good I might not be able to write your notes your <laughs> tasting notes but at least I know I know good wine when I drink it so uh, with that uh, Rob I'd like to thank you for being on the show and uh, I look forward to come out we'll be coming out here I'll tell you in two weeks my sister's coming in town with my Great. brother-in-law uh, the week of the Fourth of July. So yeah. Well, great. That's we'll it's really nice talking to you, and I thank you for coming out today. Fine. Thank you. Yeah. Bye bye. And that's the end of part two, and another episode in the books. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I'd like to thank a few people who made this whole thing possible: Robert DeFord of Bordy Vineyards. It was a pleasure speaking with you, and I learned a whole lot more about wine. The entire staff at Bordy Vineyards, thank you for being so professional and being very welcoming. I look forward to seeing you again very, very soon. And Phineas DeFord, for helping to set up this interview with your father. I'm very appreciative. And as always, I'd like to thank Mom for being my stabilizer and foundation and for having me. Joan Zimmerman, the notorious JMZ. Thank you for your companionship, trust, and creative support. Rob tells me they make a mean petite Verdot. So Bordy's waiting there for you too. And Jack, you're the best pug a guy could ever want. Our theme music, Tasty Freeze, and all the music in the episode was supplied by Cadillac Grip. If you're ever in Denver or Boulder, go see Cadillac Grip play. Because if you ain't hip to the grip... You just ain't hip. Wherever you listen to this podcast, whether it is Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud or Blueberry or whatever platform, please rank us and give us some feedback. We'd love to hear what you think. Please look for our Facebook page 
at the number one two podcast and also follow us on instagram at the number one two podcast the entire number one two podcast was written recorded engineered produced and screwed up by me i'm howard fletcher thank you for listening see you next time bye bye